scripture lesson is found in the book of Acts. We have been looking at some of the highlights in the book of Acts, and today we come to um, a real contrast, but a very interesting one, because it shows us how Satan attacks both outside the church and inside the church, and then we'll see how he distracts us from our work. Let me begin with verse 31. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version uh, of chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And Joseph, a Levite of, of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men arose and covered him, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed to put the Holy Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. May God help us to understand the meaning of his word and apply its truth to our hearts. Let's all bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of worshiping you. 
We thank you for the blessed freedoms that we enjoy in this land and for the privilege we have of teaching our children about the Lord Jesus and the privilege we have of corporate worship. And we pray that you will bless each one of us with some light from your word that will enable us to walk more faithfully in your path. We pray that you will take the gifts which we bring and superintend their use, that this money might be used for your glory and might bring good news to many people of the salvation that there is in Jesus Christ and help to many in his name. And now make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Today we have to study one of the uh, sad incidents in the history of the Christian church in its early days, and yet it was put there for a reason, and that reason is to instruct us so that we might avoid the terrible sin of hypocrisy and deception and of trying to create an impression which is not true nor honest. Sometimes when I think about this, I can think of it in a little more humorous light because uh, there usually is a man here on Sunday during the summer times who has long been associated with the Belk Simpson stores, and uh, his name is Henry Simpson. And one of my favorite stories from Henry's background in life is the story of Mr. W.H. Belk, who was for the great founder of that huge chain of stores that extends all throughout the southeast. And Mr. Belk was, uh, you know, used to have the house over where the Nelson Bell Library is now. And he was a very tall man, and he had enormous uh, feet. And uh, he didn't get married until he was way up in his 50s, and then I think he had about eight kids after that. And uh, Mr. Belk was an interesting person, a very uh, uh, careful observer of the Sabbath and a very pious man. And uh, one of his managers, I heard tell this story, and uh, Henry corroborates it, of how during the Depression days when people on Saturday in department stores had to work from very early in the morning till very late on Saturday night. And this particular man was uh, working in the shoe uh, department selling shoes. And evidently someone had sent him down to the uh, 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 stores in the basement where the uh, stock room to uh, find a pair of shoes. I think Mr. Belk had actually sent him. And he went down there and he got to looking for the shoes and he was very tired because he had been up late the night before and had worked all day. And he sat down and he got very comfortable and he fell asleep. And then, to his great consternation, jobs were hard to come by in those days, he heard the ponderous feet of Mr. Belk coming down the stairs <laughs> to the stockroom, and he knew that there would be a reckoning that would be at hand. And so he quickly flipped over on his knees and acted as though he were praying. And Mr. Belk booted the door open in rage, and then saw the man kneeling in an attitude of prayer, and he carefully pulled the door back and went back, and the story is he gave him a raise and something else in the firm. Well, <laughs> uh, Ananias and Sapphira did a lot worse than that. Uh, we are all tempted to create an impression that doesn't exist, and uh, it can be very serious at times, and here it is in the early church. Sometimes the brightest light 
cast the darkest shadows. And so it's important for us to remember that. Because you remember when last week we were studying chapter 3 of the Acts of the Apostles, we were reading how Peter and John, on their way to the temple to pray, on their way to the prayer meeting, had come to the gate called Beautiful, an, enorm an ornate gate, uh, huge. Remember we said it was as high as the ceiling. Here in Gaither it would take 20 men to open those huge gates and much of the overlay was with gold and silver. And by this remarkably beautiful gate there was the pitiable specter of a man who was crippled from birth and who begged uh, money of Peter and of John. And you remember how Peter looked at that man and told him to fix his eyes on him. And you know how we are tempted sometimes to avert our eyes from people who may look to us uh, wanting something or trying to beg something from us. And then Peter looked at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but those tremendous words from the early church, but such as I have give I you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth stand up and walk and he reached down and pulled the man up and the man Luke careful with his medical details tells us of his ankle bones being strengthened and how he was healed and he went walking and leaping and praising God well this of course created a great commotion and a large crowd of people assembled and chapter 4 of the Acts of the Apostles is almost taken up with a great sermon that is preached, uh, preached by Peter to this crowd attracted by this miracle that had been performed. And uh, when they had placed them in the center, this is the temple guard, they asked, by what power in what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to this sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which has become the very head of the corner. And there is salvation in no one else. Remember that. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men whereby you must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence I like the King James better at this point because it says boldness. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated. Can you believe that? They hadn't been to seminary. They were uneducated and untrained men. Idiotes, I think is the Greek there from which we get our word idiot. Uh, they were uneducated. They didn't have the grammar. They were untrained in the seminary, but I don't know what seminary Jesus went to, do you? They observed that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were marveling 
and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. How did they recognize that they had been with Jesus? It was power in their life, and it was what they gave testimony to. And when the council said, what shall we do with these men for that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, we cannot deny. But in order that it may not spread any further, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than men, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which they might punish them. Because they, the, all of the people were glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. That's an interesting note. When you're past 40 and something big happens to you, people notice it. And they noticed it here and they remembered it. But the thing that I wanted you to see was that they were bold in the Lord. They were warned here, and the next time they will be beaten and told not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, and they will go away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be beaten for Jesus Christ. A great Princeton scholar in the last uh, century was uh, named Alexander, who wrote a great commentary on Acts, and he has a very fine comment at this point. He said that their dishonor they turned into honor. Their dishonor they turned into honor. Because they were honored that they were counted worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. And then we read that the Holy Spirit, and then they offer up a great prayer, a great prayer meeting takes place. And it's an interesting thing what they pray for. When they pray, they pray to God as the ruler of all. Despotes in Greek. Uh, the word is corrupted now to despot, which has a bad meaning, but then it's a ruler. A ruler with absolute authority and power. They know that even though they are beaten and commanded to speak no more in the name of Jesus, they are not afraid. They don't say, God, what's happened to you? Why haven't you protected us from this harm and danger? But they call out to the one who is sovereign, who is ruling, even in this situation knowing that he has kept them. They didn't even have a good night's sleep, and yet they prayed to the Lord, thanking him that he had kept them and that he was ruling over all things. Now look what kind of congregation this produces. The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. 
of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but remember this is voluntary uh, in the early church. It was voluntary with this group of people here who were being persecuted for their love of Jesus. They are, were of one heart and one soul. Generously they gave to their fellow Christians who were in need. And then we get the remarkable example of Barnabas who had a tract of land who sold it and brought the proceeds from the sale and put it at the feet of the apostles to be used to distribute among those who are needy. I was reading recently a, a very wonderful study in the book of Acts by Louis Evans Sr. And it made me think of when Louis Evans Jr. was last year in Montreat. He spoke right here at this pulpit. And uh, then later I went to a house where we had lunch and Billy Graham and Ruth were there and uh, Louis Evans was talking with uh, Ruth about some experiences that they had had in Edinburgh years ago when Billy had had a great campaign in Scotland in 1955. And, and uh, when it came my time to try to interject something into the conversation, I was trying to think of something that I could say that wouldn't sound dumb. And uh, I remembered that his grandfather had been a professor at Moody Bible Institute. His name was William Evans. And so I asked him about his grandfather. And that just seemed to unlock the treasure chest. He began to tell story after story about his remarkable grandfather and about how he had come to Christ under the ministry of D.L. Moody and how he had no education and yet he had followed Moody all the way back to the United States and had gone to the Institute and had studied the Bible and then when someone ridiculed him because he didn't have education he went all the way and earned a PhD. He was a very elo eloquent preacher, very powerful preacher. Then his son, Louis Evans, uh, became the great a pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood. And what reminded me of this was that he said that he had been asked by a woman one time to come to her room uh, at the hospital. Uh, she wanted to devise her will and uh, she wanted his advice about uh, making out her will. And uh, he said, who will you leave your estate to? And she said, to my family. And he said, who is your family? And she said, I have a niece and a nephew. That's all the family I have. And he said, is God your heavenly father? And she said, yes. And he said, is Jesus Christ your savior and your elder brother? And she said, yes. And Dr. Evans said, then you have a lot of brothers and sisters that ought to be left something too. They ought to be kept in the family of God. And she revised her will to include her and to re reflect her faith in God and her love for Jesus Christ and needy brothers and sisters in Christ who might need too. Well, Barnabas was like that. He gave a great example of taking his estate and in that time of peril and danger and need he gave that money to assist those who were in need. And God poured out grace and blessings upon the church. You know, I'm 
I'm of the opinion that someone must have commented about Barnabas' gift. And Ananias and Sapphira heard it. And so they got into a discussion. And they said, wouldn't it be nice if people said about us what they're saying about Barnabas? And they said, let's sell our land. But one of them said, but we don't want to give all of it. Let's just give part of it and act like we gave all of it. Now that's terrible. That's the sin of pretending and hypocrisy. And so we are given this account. And they put this, uh, that's why I stopped at that point here. After the account of Barnabas, but a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. You see the conjunction is put there to tell us that there is a great contrast between the attitude of Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas. They kept back some of the prize for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And then they perpetrated this duplicity uh, by bringing a part of what they had and putting it at the apostles' feet and Peter with the discernment that the Holy Spirit had given him, said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? And then he explains carefully, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. It's a possible thing to be so hypocritical that we can call evil good. And we can call good evil. Last week I talked with a man not of this congregation, not of this community. With four little children whose wife had taken up to going to gay bars. She had left her small children, her husband, and is taken up with a, a leader, a worship leader in a denomination, I won't call the name of it because they're certainly not all that way. And when her husband pled with her to come back to her family, she said, I've never felt so close to God in all my life. That's the strange fire that you read about in Leviticus 10 in the Old Testament. That's, a, that's, that's making an evil to be good when it is not good. Now that sin can be forgiven and that person can be helped just as an adulterer may be forgiven and helped. But God pity us when in the church we have people who will be so deceptive as to say that such a thing is, is good when it is sin. A worship leader in a church. Well, as Ananias heard the words of Peter, he fell down dead. And great fear came upon all who heard it. And then, of course, his wife comes in. 
She had not known what had happened. She told uh, uh, Peter, asked her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. And then Peter said, why have you agreed? The two of you conspired. Conspired together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test. And then he told her, those who have carried your husband out are here. And she fell dead. And great fear, of course, comes upon the church. And this is meant to teach us. It is meant to teach us that there are limits beyond which we must not go. And that God wants in us righteousness and truth. And that all of us need to to constantly reflect before the Lord an integrity in our relationship with Him. I have printed in the bulletin and I hope you will take it home with you. Don't lie to God. The price of pretense is terrible. It comes from Scripture Union and by the way those booklets for the month of July are now out for July and August so that you can have a scripture study guide if you don't have a devotional booklet you can pick it up after church because it sticks with the scripture it'll help you and it keeps us constantly in check that system of giving was voluntary you remember before you sold it it belonged to you the money was yours handing over your property was not a condition of membership in the early church the sin was false pretenses. What the sad couple did was to give part of their proceeds and, and pretend that it was all. They wanted praise for a price they had not paid. It was the sin of hypocrisy. If you take the trouble to look back at some of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 11, but woe to you Pharisees. Now these are people who really know their Old Testament. For you pay the tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. But woe to you Pharisees, for you love the front seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace. I know people who are always glad to lead a meeting, but they don't want to listen. They'll sing, in a solo, they'll sing a solo, but they don't want to sing in a choir. Whose glory are we seeking? It's remarkable what God can get, get accomplished when we don't care who gets credit for it. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the front seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. And one of the lawyers stood up in reply and said, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. He was asking for it. And Jesus said, Woe to you lawyers as well. For you weigh down men with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. It's not enough for us to point out the sin of a homosexual unless we're willing to help one. When we point out the sin, the terrible murder of abortion, we in the church ought to be willing to help people. 
who need help in having a baby. Woe to you, for you build the, the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. Consequently, you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. And then he imprecates, he brings more and more woes upon them for what they have done. So Satan attacks without in his crude way, trying to beat the Christians and stop it. That's what's happened in Russia, but it hasn't stopped the church. That's what happened in China, but it didn't stop Christians. That's a crude way. This way here is far, far more devastating. The blood of the martyrs has always been the seed of the church, but when hypocrisy comes in the church, then great harm is done to the church. Then later we'll read in the sixth chapter of Acts how people get distracted into doing good things rather than the most important thing for God. But what is the answer to such a thing as this? The answer to it is the answer where the answer to all sin is. And all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The answer is to go to the cross of Calvary. I mentioned Mr. Moody a while ago. He had a very dramatic imagination. And he used to preach a sermon on Peter's preaching at Pentecost. And he said that when Peter had preached that great sermon that was in chapter 3, that Mr. Moody said, I could just see some Roman soldier running up to, to Peter and saying to Peter, Oh, Peter, I am a Roman soldier, and I was the one who took that rod and smote him with it and put the scepter in his hand. Can he ever forgive me, Peter? And Peter said, yes, he died on the cross for you. Instead of mocking you, he will welcome you as his good and faithful servant. And another runs up to Peter and says, Peter, I'm one of those soldiers of the high priest, and I put that crown of thorns on his head. Will he forgive me for what I've done to him? And Peter said, yes, he'll give you a crown of righteousness that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away and which will never fade forever. And another runs to him and said, I blindfolded him, I spat upon him. Will he forgive me? And he said, yes, he will forgive you. He will embrace you and take you unto himself. He will forgive you. And so that's the answer to this and all other sins. It's to come into the light of God honestly and to know the love of God that shines at Calvary. R.G. Lee died, I believe, last year. He was an old, old man. He was pastor for years and years of a huge Baptist church in, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, in Memphis or Nashville. And uh, I used to love to listen to Dr. Lee. Once he went to the Holy Lands, 
And he climbed up Gordon's Calvary, and the guide told him, he said, you're old, and I don't know whether you can climb up this hill or not. And Dr. Lee insisted that he wanted to climb to the top of the hill. And he was not in good health, and the guide was worried about him, but nonetheless, nothing would do, but he would climb Calvary, and he did. And so when they had gotten to what they thought was the place where Jesus might have been crucified, R.G. Lee dropped his head and great tears streamed down his face. And the guide said to him, Sir, have you been here before? And only R.G. Lee would think of this. He said, Yes, I was here 2,000 years ago. And so were you. And so was I. We were there when they crucified our Lord through deception, through hypocrisy, through the things that we have all done that are wrong and evil. But the blessed irony of it all is that on that cross where he is judged, we have forgiveness for his body was broken for our sakes and his blood was shed so that we might be cleansed from all sin. Alexander McLaurin used to preach a great sermon on this. He combined it with Jesus' parable of the, tea, of, of the wheat and the tares, and he warned us to be good wheat. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you will deliver us from the sins of pretension and hypocrisy, of trying to create a good impression and looking more spiritual than we actually are. All of us have been guilty of this stuff at one time or another. And we can only pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And save me for Jesus' sake. Help me to be honest. Help us to be honest in the light of your righteousness. Help us to be honest in the light of your word. Help us to be honest by staying close to you in prayer and around people that bring out the best in us. Help us to set high standards and keep them. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father in the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.